Hey, welcome to Hindsight, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons hidden within. <laughs> Look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the Podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from the in hindsight. Yesterday and your tomorrow in hindsight is so much clearer now. This is Hindsight the Podcast, and introducing your host, Lee Jones. Hey, welcome to Hindsight the Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and today's guest on the show is David Kitchen. He's the founder of Edge Leadership Academy, where he helps people develop leadership skills for success in business and life. Before this, he spent a decade as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, even becoming the youngest head strength coach in NCAA history at the age of 24 years old. During the pandemic, he made the daring decision, leaving his coaching career to start Edge Leadership Academy and pursue a PhD in psychology. Since then, he's worked with many NCAA teams like the University of Miami Football and advised top executives in various industries. David's personal journey from a challenging upbringing to a life dedicated to helping others succeed is truly inspiring. Welcome, David. How are you doing today? Man, I'm phenomenal, brother. That's a heck of an introduction, man. I promise I'm not that interesting. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, though, man. <laughs> hey, you've done the thing out there, right? It may not seem interesting to you, you know, but it's very inspiring from other people's perspectives who haven't been in that space, right? And you've learned a lot of lessons, especially being in a coaching area, being in a sports arena. A lot of those leadership qualities and leadership sayings and, and things that a lot of people just don't get. Right. In a normal day to day. So I think you're a lot more uh, interesting than you than you let on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. huh? Absolutely. So where are you calling from today, man? So I'm central Pennsylvania. Uh, so I was born and bre- born and bred in this area, man. Uh, grew up in northeast PA, but I'm, I'm living in central Pennsylvania now. So about 45 minutes east of State College. So if anybody's familiar with Penn State football, man, I'm I'm about 45 minutes from their stadium. So uh, Steelers or Eagles? Oh, I'm Eastern PA, brother. I bleed green. <sighs> I'm from Maryland myself. I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> oh, oh, isn't that treason over there? Don't you have to be a Ravens fan? Nah, because I'm 53 years old. So when I started liking <laughs> football, we didn't have uh, a football team. So the Colts were there, but they left. Gotcha. Right? And then Cleveland eventually came to to Baltimore as the you know, and then once they all filtered out, but. In that time period, the Steelers were killing it, right? And mm-hmm. I was really influenced or uh, mesmerized, I guess you could say, by like Lynn Swan, you know, right. and Terry Bradshaw and all these guys. They were killing it, right? So that's the team that I started liking. And uh, yeah. it, it, it's cold on now. So my second team is the Ravens. 
And my third team is the uh, Washington Commanders. I got to make sure I say the right title right. (laughs) (laughs) So I am loyal to to the local teams. Uh, Okay. All right. Yeah. But I'm a Steelers fan uh, through it all. (laughs) Rough year. Rough year. Yeah, Yeah. man. But, you know, I had hopes. I had hopes coming into this year. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But they're slowly dwindling. So, yeah, uh, yeah. that's a whole other topic. But look, um, so I wanted to focus on, you know, leadership, mm-hmm. right? Those those characteristics or those nuggets of of um, I don't know the right words uh, because I'm not a coach, but I know uh, when I used to play football back in the day, coaches always had the right thing to say, right, to get you motivated. And when I was mm-hmm. in the army, you know, our commanders uh, always had the right things to say. Right. So right. that's why I'm really excited to talk to you today. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you're very inspirational um, just in that space. Or oh, you should be. I don't think all coaches <laughs> and all commanders are. Right. But the good right. ones really are. Yeah, so absolutely. I read this on one of your websites. Oh, I should say on your website. And I want you to tell me what this quote meant to you. Okay. My whole life, I've been the best on every team I've played on, and people are always telling me to lead, but nobody ever taught me how. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, that, that was honestly one of the hardest conversations I ever had as a coach. Um, so it was a young man that, you know, in my opinion, was the best leader that I had ever coached. And uh, we were, you know, going down to the wire here. We were fighting for a, uh, a one seed going into the conference tournament. And he came in my office and he said that to me. And it was it was a couple things. One, it, it was frustrating for me because I obviously, you know, I start by looking in the mirror. And so I'm like, okay, if this young man doesn't feel ready to lead, what have I missed, right, to get him ready? What, what did I not do um, to give him the confidence to feel like he can be a leader? Because he is, right? And then secondly, um, from the business side, it was the light bulb moment for me because it was, oh, if this young man feels this way, and he's one of the best leaders that I've ever coached, then that means that he's he's not the exception. He's the norm, right? Which means there's other people out there that feel that way, that feel like they're not ready to lead. And so it really led me down this rabbit hole of going back to my master's in sports psych, which I had at the time, and diving into like, what's the mentality behind leadership? What it Because there is no playbook for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so- I started to dive down that rabbit hole and then I realized to myself, you know, I can teach this stuff because I had built leadership councils before I had done leadership development programs. And so to me, it was the springboard um, for what became Edge Leadership Academy. Like I, I tell people all the time, Edge was built so that that conversation doesn't happen anymore, whether it's in boardrooms, whether it's in locker rooms, whether it's in community centers and churches, I don't want people to feel like they are not capable of leadership. And so that's why edge was built. Nice. So can you share an experience, personal experience when uncertainty or doubt crept in for you and how did you navigate through it? And what did you learn about yourself in that process? Man, all, all, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, you know, the, the big one that sticks out to me was I, I had just, you know, I had become the youngest head strength coach in the country. I was 24 years old. 
And I, I ran the program, you know, for an hour, for yeah, for an hour, for for a year, um, and had the opportunity to to be in charge and run my own staff. Um, and there was so much doubt and so much uncertainty when that first year was up, and there was so much um, reflection and and realization that I wasn't the best that I could possibly be at that time. Right. And that there was more that I needed to learn in order to lead and to drive the program the way that I wanted to drive it. I knew what I wanted it to look like. I just didn't have the tools yet to make it that. And so that led to the decision for me to step down. And so that's the part of the story that a lot of people don't know is that, yes, I was the youngest head strength coach in the country, but I also stepped down 18 months later. And I took the opportunity to go to Division One and learn from somebody because I thought to myself, I need to be around the best so that I can learn from the best. And so I took the opportunity to go to Las Vegas and go to UNLV um, and coach under coach Sean Manuel, who had, he played on a, played on the 49ers team, won a Super Bowl. You know, he was, he was part of Bishop Gorman's high school's decade of dining or decade of dominance where they'd won 10 straight, you know, state championships. Um, he was a former division one head strength coach. He, he knew what he was doing. And so I was like, let me go and learn from this guy. And so fortunate for me, he was willing to take a shot on a young guy that was just hungry to learn. And so I stepped in there as the assistant director. So I was the number two. I was also the youngest at that level at the time. Um, but I remember going to the airport. So so was, the way it played out was I got offered the job on a Wednesday. They asked me or I asked them, when do you need me? And they said Friday. And I was in Pennsylvania. This was in Las Vegas. I'm like, well, it's a two day drive. So I don't know how that's going to happen. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. We're connecting you with our travel agent now. Your flight's already getting booked. We just need you to pack a duffel bag and get out here. And I was like, okay, here we go. You know, and so 24 hours later, I'm on an airplane going to Las Vegas. And I remember being in the bathroom before my flight. And it's that moment that a lot of people have, man, where, you know, you look yourself in the mirror and you're just like, what if I'm not good enough? What if I don't mm. have it? What, what if I can't do this? What if I sign myself up for something that I'm not capable of? Right. And there was that fear. There was absolutely that doubt. Um, and for me, my answer, whenever there's self-doubt, whenever there's fear, when I feel those things, it's a trigger for me to run face first into whatever that thing is. I, I've always kind of used that for me as like, oh, that's like the, the notification to me, like, hey, you got to go. If this scares you, you need to go towards it. And so, you know, I, I was fortunate and I got on the plane and um, the doubt, you know, the doubt was still there, brother. The doubt was still there, you know, a couple of weeks into it even, um, right. you know, but, but it's, you don't have to see the whole staircase, right? You just got to take the right, the first step. And so, um, you know, anytime I feel that self-doubt and, and again, I, I still feel it, man. I'm, I'm a, I'm a 31 year old entrepreneur um, that's now teaching leadership to guys with bank accounts that could eat mine 10 times over. Yeah. You know, and, and so there's there's always that feeling, man. But but again, right. if there's a feeling of fear there, um, I know in my heart that that's that's where I need to go. What would you recommend for someone who is frozen by fear of self-doubt? Like, how do you inspire them to take a chance, take that first step? Yeah, the the big thing that I always try and get across to people is because of my experiences and because of the people that I've been around and the, and the circles that I've been in, I've been exposed to high performers and I've been exposed to whether they're special forces, um, NFL athletes, NBA athletes, you know, entrepreneurs, doesn't matter. 
And what I've realized is that these people aren't special. They're just humans, right? They just, the only difference between you and them is that they took the step and then they gathered information along the way, right? And so if you're frozen in that fear, you have to get past the title or the the context of what you're what you're afraid of and break it down to its parts because there's everybody out there is just figuring it out yeah. like everybody is you know and i realize that more and more every single day that everybody is just in their process and nobody is smarter than anybody else right the only difference is they got to the information before you did you'll get there you know what i mean and so if you're frozen in that fear my advice to you is take the first step and then seek out discomfort and get yourself used to that pressure because the problems are not going to go away. They're just going to be problems that you're glad you had, right? Like the problems I'm trying to solve now as an entrepreneur are problems that I wish I would have had five years ago. Right. You know, and so the problems are never going to go away. There's always going to be that fear. It's just seeking out the discomfort along the way so that as those problems get higher and higher in the stakes, your threshold for dealing with them gets better and better and better. Oh, man, I love it. That's true. You know, and, and that is something that really needs to get hit home. The point of you still fearful of things and it's mostly a failure. Right. But you use that as a trigger. To move forward. Right. Yes. And the thing is, man, I'm so happy that you're seeing a lot of entertainers, a lot of sports, you know, elite people in a lot of different industries who talk about, hey, when when I'm in the locker room or when I'm in the boardroom or, or these different places, I get a flutter in my stomach, right? There's a fear. Yeah. There's an anxiety, right? But when the lights are on, they perform. Mm-hmm. And to your point, we're all human, right. right? Some people are stronger. Some people are smarter. Some people are blah, 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 right? But we're all human and we all have to deal with those um, I guess those those challenges, right? Those um, opportunities, I'll call them opportunities, because there's always opportunities to be great. Now, whether you take them or not is up to you, your mindset. Yeah. I, I love hearing that because you're 100% right. I, I, like I, I talk a lot. I just had a, a talk with my, my mentorship group uh, two days ago, and we were talking about you know, success. And we were talking about those things. And I said, guys, we don't do this stuff, this mentorship group going through all these, these workshops and these curriculums and all this. It's the same as athletics. We don't do it. We don't train to win. We train so that when the opportunity is presented to us to compete, to win, we're ready to take the opportunity. None of this is guaranteed. Right. None of it is right? But what you're really training for is your right to be in the arena. Your right to have that opportunity. Like that's what it's about, man. I just want to get to the plate. I, I don't care <laughs> about whether I hit a home run or not. I'm, I'm busting my butt to just be in the game. Right. right. I just want the opportunity to win because I know that I've built enough skills over time that the odds of me failing when that opportunity comes have been diminished. Right. So we're trying to reduce the likelihood of failure. That's all it comes down to. Success is a war of attrition, brother. It's just about staying in the fight, man. It's about staying in it longer than other people. That's how you become successful, whether it's in business, whether it's in athletics, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in life, doesn't matter. It's a war of attrition. So I'm just trying to continue to punch my ticket to get into the arena so that I can compete. 
considering your experiences in both athletics and consulting, what's a fundamental leadership principle that you've identified um, applies universally, regardless of the industry, the field, relationships, you know, whatever it is? Character wins, uh, hands down. Lead yourself first. Um, that That's the, the biggest universal truth when it comes to leadership. Lead yourself first. Um, there's so many people out there that feel like a title makes them a leader or a status makes them a leader or even finances or background or wh- whatever it may be. No, man, it, it's not. It's lead yourself first. If you're concerned with people following you, you know, the first thing you need to do is be worthy of following and be worth going, be going somewhere worth going, you know, and, and the only way that you can do that is by having a rock solid character so that people can identify where you're going, why you're going there and how, how hard you're willing to work to get there. Right. And what you're willing, because what you're willing to sacrifice or not sacrifice on the journey, that's what people are watching, right? People don't buy products. They buy people. Hmm. And, and so that's the key to it all, man. It's lead yourself first. That's where it starts. So every every single workshop, keynote, coaching session, doesn't matter what it is. I end it the same every time. And I tell people, be who you needed. Be the father you needed, the brother you needed, the mentor you needed, the employer you needed. Be who you needed and do it with character. And if you do that long enough, people will be attracted to follow you. Be who you needed. I loved it. I love it. Okay. You've worked. Hey, see, I'm getting inspired. I'm writing stuff down as I'm talking. So if I get this <laughs> delayed, delayed question answer, you know, period, it's because I'm writing. <laughs> but hey, you've worked with uh, a diverse range of clients from NCAA mm-hmm. teams to C-suite executives. Can you recall a specific challenge you faced while advising a C-suite executive and how you applied your unique background to provide valuable insights? Yeah, I, I so I've I've worked with you know clients across a lot of industries, right? And and specifically the one that I'm thinking of was in um was in construction in one way or another, kind of an industry adjacent to construction. Um and we were just talking about, you know, what what are the actual metrics, right, that we're measuring success by. And so what I mean by that is taking your culture all right. And being able to apply behaviors to it. Right. So it's not enough to say our culture is, you know, family XYZ, 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 whatever they are. How are you measuring those things? Right. And so sitting down with that exec and being able to say, okay, let's actually measure this out. And the way that we did that was we, I said to him, okay, if there was someone coming into your business today and he knew nothing about your company, Nothing about you, nothing about anything. Who would you want him to meet first? Who would you want to represent your business? Right. And once we got that person down, I said, okay, now write down the values and the behaviors and the daily habits that you see from this person that make them special. Right. And then once we had that, okay, then that's what you want your company to be about, give or take, you know, within a standard deviation. Obviously, there's there's things that maybe not everybody's going to check every box. Right. So Identify those things, those behaviors, align them with your values, and then publish that to your people and say, hey, this is what family looks like to us. This is what innovation looks like to us. This is what competition looks like to us. 
right? These are examples of specific behaviors because what you're trying to do when you're leading a company culture is you have to take it from the head to the heart. You need people to internalize that message and turn it into behaviors, right? And so that was the challenge for him was taking this. He had a great culture. It just wasn't quantified, right? There was no metrics attached to it. And so that's kind of the the strategic piece of what we do, which is quantifying something that is traditionally unquantifiable, which is culture, right? But if you really dig deep enough, there are KPIs and there's actually KPIs that fall pretty closely aligned with the business thing, right? So it could be customer retention. It could be employee turnover. It could be internal, um, internal promotions, right? Like those are, those are easy metrics that you can look at that can kind of identify whether your culture is going in the direction that you want. But then beyond that, you have to build out that secondary list, of behaviors that you're specifically looking for. And then you got to reward them with a ton of energy and enthusiasm. Um, so that would be a specific, you know, example of, of taking a, a C-suite exec and helping him clarify what, what the culture should look like within the organization. That's a great example. Um, as you get older, and some people get it when they're younger now, because information is more prevalent, obviously, than it was back in the days. Culture is a big or should be a big factor in your decision to work for a specific company. From my perspective, I always look at what the culture is mm-hmm. um, because you can, and I say this with tongue in cheek, you can make a lot of money and be in a toxic culture and you're, and you're miserable. Right. Right. Or you can make some good money and be in a great culture and just be happy to go to work, happy to see the people. <laughs> Thankfully, you know, and this isn't, you know, any anything. I actually, I absolutely love the company that I work for. Mm-hmm. I love the people. And I love the culture. Because we've established, and I say we, but the company, the leadership, has established a 10 principle methodology if you know that you're going to have to have a courageous conversation, which is one of those 10 principles, right? You go into it with the other 10 principles, go in um, uh, with questions instead of judgments. You know what I'm saying? Leveraging mm-hmm. other people's realities. These are all of those principles, right? And it makes for a more constructive conversation because you can pull the emotion out of it, right? And then right. focus just on the solution, right? And don't destroy a relationship, based off of something that's not a relationship destroyer, right? It's something to do with work. And I can be mad at somebody, but you don't stay mad. You're mad at the situation, right? Not the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I love the the thing you say about the culture. I think that's an amazing thing. I love that strategy too. I love that strategy. I may may, uh, ask my boss to take a listen to this. Oh, actually the president to take a listen to this, right? (laughs) No, they do a great job. I mean, yeah. they're, they're transparent. They do a lot of things. That's just an interesting strategy that you just, mm-hmm. you know, you just described right there. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different because as leaders, a lot of times, like we operate in the clouds, right? Because we have to oversee right. so much. And so sometimes it's important for us to stick our hands in the dirt and be like, okay, what makes our soil special? Like why, why, do right. our crop, why are our crops better than other people's, right? And the only way to right. do that is to test the dirt. And be in the dirt with the people. So I, I talk to leaders a lot and I say, operate in the clouds, but be able to get in the dirt. There you go. 
All right, so we touched a little bit. I shouldn't say we. I mentioned a, a, a small little sentence that said David's personal journey from a challenging upbringing. Mm-hmm. You're from Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, some of the challenges that you had to go through and how that helped shape who you are today. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's one of those things where when when you say it out loud, people have a certain a certain vision of it. So I want to preface it definitely by saying my life was not an A&E late night special. Um, you know, I, I was very blessed to be surrounded by people that love me. Um, but at the same time, I was given the best gift that I could ever be given. And I call it a gift intentionally because it was um, of being born to a single parent. And, and I was born to a single mother. Um, I never met my biological father. And my mom was, you know, everything to me. She was a rock man. I mean, she, she worked her butt off. She showed me what hard work looks like. She showed me that the game is not over until you give up, right? You can't lose if you don't give up. Um, and I learned that from a young age from her. Um, and so, you know, grew up, like I said, single parent household. Um, I have a younger brother who's five years younger than me. His father, uh, unfortunately, you know, was my stepfather and, and, and struggled with addiction. Um, and so I watched my family kind of get destroyed from the inside out, right, at a young age. And so it's kind of a running joke in our household that, you know, most cultures and most people consider people men at 18, right? I became a man at 10 uh, because I was the man of the house. And so I had to help raise my brother. Um, I was the babysitter. I was the confidant. I was the rock of the family. You know, there was unfortunate situations where, you know, whether it, things got out of control between my stepdad and my mom and I had to step in. You know, so I'm 10 years old and I'm eye to eye um, with, with a grown man, you know. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons at a very young age, brother. But I was I was so blessed, man, because my mom, like I said, despite all the things that I had to do, we, we built this really different relationship than I think a lot of people have with their mother. Right. Because I grew up at a young age and she was still figuring out she was 26 when she had me, you know, and so she was still figuring out adulthood. Um, and so I think you know, it, it really led to who I became as a man um, because I learned at a young age, you know, one, I stopped fearing a lot of things. You know, I stopped fearing a lot of things because I, I had to. I didn't have time to to be upset or or be scared. Like I had to be the man. I had to be the one to hold things together. Um, and so I think I learned at a young age, you know, that you're capable of a lot more than you think you are. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, I think that's kind of where that if it scares me, I need to run to it. I think that's kind of where that comes from, right? Because I didn't have a choice. Like, like when I heard plates smashing in the kitchen, like I gotta go. My yeah. mom, you know what I mean? My mom needs me. Like I have to be there. I can't not be involved. Um, and so, you know, I think I learned those things. Now, again, that was only the first 12 years of my life. I was very fortunate, you know, at 12, my mom got us out of that situation. Uh, we moved in with my grandmother, which was a completely different realm, right? So I went from, we lived in town, we lived above a bar um, when I was younger. And so we would, you know, I'd be out running the streets doing whatever I wanted to do because uh, my mom was working two, three jobs at the time. Um, and, and again, you know, I don't, I don't think I ever realized like how bad it was until I really got older, right? You know, yeah. and so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think back to like, we were just talking about this, me and my mom just, we were joking about it. Um, we used to to fill up brown paper bags for the Salvation Army, right? Like for the for the lunch for the kids during summer. And so kids that, you know, came from backgrounds that, that needed help, we would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and crackers and everything and put them in these brown paper bags, take them to the Salvation Army. 
and me and my brother would be in there helping. And my mom would always say, you know, hey, when you drop those off, make sure you take one. And I never thought about it, right? Like I always thought that was our reward for helping. And then as I got older, I realized, I'm like, oh man, we were those kids. Like, <laughs> like we were the ones that needed the free, like, what am I, you know what I'm saying? Like, so right. in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got a free PBJ. This is dope. You know, and all I got to do is pack these bags. And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I was the broke kid. Like, like that was me, you know? And so you don't realize all those things. But again, man, 12 years old, we got out of that situation. My, we moved in with my grandmother. Um, in rural, rural PA, I mean, backwoods of PA, man, my closest neighbors growing up were, were cows and they were about a mile away. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a complete shift. Um, you know, and so our life completely changed at that point. I got the opportunity to play at a great, great high school program, um, was a good player on a great team. So shout out to my teammates for that, you know, but it gave me the opportunity to go to college, man. It gave me football, gave me the opportunity to get an education and, um, you know, and watch my mom get an education as well. She went back to school, became a nurse, um, and is now the the director of the the highest rated Alzheimer's and dementia unit um, in the state of Pennsylvania. So she travels all over and speaks and is getting awards and everything. And so, you know, I've had this I've had this uh, this role model my whole life. You know, to be able to look up to and see, oh, you really can, you know, for lack of better terms, get it out the mud. You know, right. you you really can. Um, and the game's not over until you quit, you know? So that's kind of my background. Um, like I said, man, it's the greatest gift I've ever been given, man. I look at my brother, he's, he's 26 years old. Uh, he's two and O versus cancer. You know, he's, he's a warrior. Like my whole family, like that's just who we are. We yeah. fight, we are warriors. Um, and we live in the arena, man. Wow. Yeah. I can definitely relate to, um, your, your uh, what do you call it? What do you call your mom? A warrior or a savage? Well, well <laughs> warrior and savage. No, but someone, a mentor, a leader. Yeah, yeah. You Just know, a role right model, there. man. Yeah. So, yeah, a role model, all of those things. Because we grew up in Baltimore, Baltimore City. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, okay. You know, to, to your point, as a kid, you don't realize how bad it is if your parents are able to, or your parent, our mothers in this particular situation, are able to shield that from you, right? Right. And- Everything seemed fine to me, but I go back now and I look at the area and I'm like, wow, we lived here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know think what it's I mean? normal. Yeah. You think it's normal. Exactly. Like <laughs> So, um, so I definitely appreciate that story. And I'm sure that a lot of that experience you take into your uh, mission at Edge Leadership Academy. Is that a fair assumption? Abs absolutely, man. Absolutely. I say that I'm a walking, I'm a walking billboard for our, our company motto, which is built, not born. Right. Because statistically speaking, man, I, I'm an African-American man that was born to a single parent. Like I should not be a PhD candidate, a business owner, you know, have the coaching resume that I had. Like I, it shouldn't statistically speaking, that shouldn't have happened. Right. And so if I can figure it out, then I think that other people can too, you know, and that that's not trying to be cold or harsh, you know, obviously I was blessed in some of the situations that I, that I got into, um, you know, and I don't take away from anybody else's challenges, but I, I just, I'm a firm believer, man, this stuff is built, not born. Success is something that can be built. Leadership skills are things that can be built. High performing skills are things that can be built. Um, you just got to be willing to do the work, you know, do the work on you and do the work outside of you as well. 
Yeah, and this show is based off of like decisions, past, you know, some looking at past decisions that you've made and how mm-hmm. they've positively or negatively affected you and how those decisions and that knowledge can help to influence your current and future decisions, right? So you can get to a Definitely. place where you want to be. And, you know, just in, in looking at the decisions that you've made as a kid and growing up and the decisions your mom has made, right, to help you out and her out, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things are impactful, right? And if you, continue, you're going to make bad decisions every now and again, right? But if you continue to assess and go over and revisit and figure out like, okay, if I keep doing this, then this is going to happen, right? Right. That insanity thing, (laughs) whatever it is, right? Yeah. And and what you're talking about there is systems, right? What you're talking about there is is building systems in your life and, and being able to say, okay, you know, X input gives me Y output. Right. Like, like if I do these things, this is what it leads to. And for me, it's it's looking back on my past and looking back on my childhood and everything else and, and turning those things into superpowers. Yeah. Right. Like like looking at all the things that I've been through in my life, like I learned how to read a room at a very young age because I had to know, you know, I had to know was, was stepdad. Was, was he strung out? Where are we at? What's the situation? You know, is, could this thing blow up? Um, you know, so I learned to read people very quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. And feel energies. And and so that became a superpower for me. Right. I was also an African-American kid in a white neighborhood. So I learned to, to connect with people of right. different races and different ethnicities and everything else. And so I'm a social chameleon when it comes to that. I can get along with anybody, right. you know, and, and, and I can wear I'm just as comfortable in a pair of Jordans as I am in a pair of cowboy boots. Right. And so I, I'm the same dude. Um, but I can, I can, I can adjust and I can adapt. And so for people that are listening to this, it's, it's finding the things in your life that can be your superpowers and then building systems around them. Right. And so identifying like, okay, if I'm super disciplined and this is a system that I had to learn, if I'm super disciplined in training and in football, it gives me opportunities. So what happens if I become super disciplined in other areas of my life? Oh, now I'm getting opportunities here too, right? And so it's taking those principles and adjusting them to the different environments and contexts within your life and building these systems that hold it up that you're measuring, right? So you got to measure it too. Like that's the other piece is I'm constantly looking at um, what's working and what's not working, you know, as far as my relationships, as far as my business, as far as my fitness, my mental health, all those things, man, like great people and successful people have repeatable systems over time that they just continue to build upon. That's it. Because the more you do that, then it makes the right answers and the right decisions more evident. And it makes the wrong decisions. Like there's friction between you and the wrong decision. It takes more, takes more effort to go out of the system and do something that's going to hurt you than it does to just stay in the system and keep doing the things that are helping you. I love it. So look, now you kind of segued into it. But now we're going to step into the world of psychology. And what's a key revelation or understanding you've gained about human behavior that has significantly, uh, significantly impacted your coaching approach? Wow, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, That significantly impacted my coaching approach. So I'll give you an example from me. So being a leader in the Army you have the ability to just say do right in the people who you're leading are expected to do mm-hmm. right and they will do it 
based off of um, respect for rank. Mm-hmm. Or you can understand them as a person, understand what motivates them, and use those things to motivate them to do things. For me, the lesson was, because I went to the Army kind of young, was everyone's, you know, you can't approach everybody the same way, Definitely. you know, yeah. with things. I think you have to understand the people who you're interacting with and dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And to, and to, to build off of that, um, I do have an answer for you, but but to build off of what you just said, Mm-hmm. It what that is called is is the bucket. So it's B U C E T. There's no K. It's B U C E T. Mm-hmm. And basically, what that is from a psychology standpoint is every human is motivated by five basic things, right? That govern their perceptions and their behaviors. And in the early stages of relationships, if you can appeal to which of these five things that motivates this person to you know, govern their, their, again, their perceptions and their behavior. If you can appeal to that, you're really going to do well in building trust with that person. So what I, what I try and tell leaders to do is see yourself through their eyes and building trust early on in a relationship is giving people what they need, not what you want. Right. Right. And so the, the, the five things or the, the four, the five basic motivations, the first one is belonging, right? Like there's people that just inherently want to feel like they're part of the group. And so when you're dealing with somebody like that and you identify that, hey, this person really likes the group setting, if I start using terms in my speech with them like us and we, right, what I'm doing is I'm triggering that person to make it feel like I'm part of that group, right? right? So that makes them more open to a relationship with me. It makes them more trusting, right? Or they could be people that are motivated by understanding. These are people that want to feel like their views are the same as the views of the group. Right. And so when I'm talking to these people, I want to make sure that I'm providing consistency in my interactions so that they can start to build a baseline of what views the group holds. Right. And then if I do that, they're going to look for opportunities to see if their views are mirrored by me. Right. This is why people say like, oh, it's a feeling. It just fit. The culture just fit. Right. right? The le- me and the leader just fit together. Those are people that are, are, are seeking out understanding. Right. Now, people can also seek out controlling. They can look to be, you know, in control of the relationship. They can look to be um, in control of, of how things are going. You know, so think about like your friend calls you and they want to talk about their, their fight with their wife. Right. They're not looking for you to tell them that they're wrong. You're, they're looking for you to tell them that they were right. Right. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Right. That's the same thing. It's it's somebody that wants to feel control. Right. Relationships for these types of people are pretty uneasy at the beginning because they have to give up some sort of control just by the nature of a relationship. Right. It's a two way street. And okay. so these are people that you got to kind of assuade them a little bit and you got to kind of stroke the ego a little bit and let them feel like they're a little bit in control of right. how the relationship is dictated, right? And that can be really hard for leaders because our our mission is to get this person to do what we want them to do, <laughs> right? Right. But sometimes it just means letting them do it their way, right? If you let them do it their way, make it think it's, make them think, not make them think, let them believe that it's their idea. It's a yeah. win-win for everybody. You know what I mean? But that, that takes ego checking. You got to be able to check your ego, right? Then you have, so this is the E now. So we got B-U-C-E, is enhancing self people that, you know, first off, we all as humans tend to see ourselves more positively than we actually are. Right. So if you ask somebody like how good looking are you, like most people are going to positively skew that a little bit. Um, 
But people that are are really motivated by the idea of getting better and enhancing themselves, at first, when you first meet this person, they want to hear things that are consistent with how they view themselves. So it's not good to come into a group right away and start knocking people down a peg, right? That's just not a good move. But right. once they trust you, they want to hear things that are accurate. Now they want to hear what is going to help me get better? What is going to help the group get better? But you have to earn that right to give that type of feedback. You can't just do that, right? You have to earn that first, okay? And then lastly is the T. This group is, is a smaller group. These are people that are just motivated by trusting the group members. So like these are people that are, are they just inherently trust the group that they're a part of to be good people. So usually these people are pretty easy to lead um, because they just dive right into the group dynamic and you can just kind of corral them like cows, right? Mm-hmm. But for leaders, it's really important to know which of those does do your people fall into, right? Because how I interact with that person is going to completely change. And that's why creativity is such a big piece of leadership. So what was your answer? <laughs> that, that point, look, I wrote down every last one, belonging, understanding, controlling, enhancing, and trusting. So yeah, yeah. Uh, no, my, my answer, my answer for what the biggest psychology or the biggest psychology principle that I, that I utilize the most um, is definitely pattern recognition, right? And okay. taking it, taking advantage of patterns, um, whether they're building them or disrupting them, right? Humans operate on a, on a base level off of pattern recognition. And so for me, when I'm trying to coach somebody, I'm looking for baselines in how they behave, how they interact, um, how they emotionally regulate, all these things. I want to get a baseline for that. And then I'm going to try and interrupt that pattern and see what happens because that's when you're going to see the truth from somebody. That's when you're going to see... Um, who somebody truly is, right? Because adversity and success, um, those two things really reveal somebody's character. So I'm, I'm going to poke holes in that in that pattern um, and see what I get back, like see what the feedback is that I get back on the other end, right? Okay. And so um, I'm big on that. And then I also like teaching it. I also like teaching pattern recognition to people. Um, so for instance, like body language is pattern recognition. You just got to start to piece the, put the pieces together of what this person is telling you without what they're saying. Right. Right. So I think pattern recognition, if you can really get a hold on that from a body language standpoint, from a communication standpoint, and again, there's whole classes on linguistics and tonality and you know what I mean? You could go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want. Um, but I don't think you need to do that. I think if you have a base level, le- le- uh, a base level, excuse me, mm-hmm. enough that you can be dangerous in all the areas of pattern recognition, you can really influence people um, right. and you can, you'd can you be surprised, right? So here's a, a silly little example for, for people that you can play with in your house and you can, you can mess with people with this. If you're having a conversation with somebody, right? And this works really well. Like if, if you want to see it in action, go to a restaurant and watch people um, eating dinner, right? So if you look at a couple when they're eating dinner, they're going to mirror each other's body language, right? So if man takes a sip of water, Usually within a couple seconds, the female will take a sip of water. Man leans in, female leans in, right? If they're in sync, if the, if things are going well in their relationship, that's a sign of trust. It's, it's a subconscious thing that we do as humans, right? Now, you can get pretty ridiculous with this. Like you, you can get people to sit in a way that they've never sat before just because they're mirroring you and it's subconscious, right? And so I get people to do that. And I tell managers a lot, if you're having a one-on-one with somebody, and you're having a meeting with them, mirror their mirror their body language intentionally. 
and get them in sync with you. And then once you get the dance going, you can start to lead it, right? You can start to change who's in, who's in charge of the body language. And then again, we know that certain positions in the body release certain chemical responses, release certain, you know, uh, hormones and things like that. And so we can start to get people into the state of mind that we want them to be in, to be receptive to what we're trying to say, just by mirroring their body language and learning the patterns, right? So it's a fun one you can play with. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with your family. Um, you know, it's just something to practice. It's something to be aware of. Um, but all of those things fall within pattern recognition. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest, um, you know, tool or not, not necessarily tool, but the biggest concept um, right. that I use a lot. So on a lighter note, what's a non-work related hobby or interest that brings you a sense of fulfillment and relaxation? And how does this contribute to your overall well-being and your mindset? Yeah, I, I have a stack kind of. So I, I have a group of things that I like to do outside of work. Obviously, I, I still like to lift, man. I'm, I'm, I ain't as good as I once was, um, as Toby <laughs> Keith says, but but I can still I can still bang and still get after it in the weight room a little bit. Um, so I do enjoy that. But I also I love the golf, man. I love the fish um, for different reasons. Right. So I, I, golf frustrates me, um, as I think it does most people. But fishing, I like because it can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. Right. Mm. And what I mean by that is there's days where I'll take three or four fishing poles, a whole book bag full of different lures, a notebook that has, you know, watercolors and what lures to use and, and all these different things. Right. And there's days where I'm out there and it's like a science experiment and I'm, I'm trying to be really dialed in on what I'm doing and, and how I'm using things. And then there's other days, man, where I take one pole and I just disappear for the whole day. And all I got is a rubber worm. Right. And it's just slinging it and just being out on the water. So that's why I love fishing because it can be as complex or as, or as uh, simple as you want it to be. Right. Okay. Depending on what you need that day. Um, but I, anything that gets me outside, man, anything that gets oh, me like outside. outside. <laughs> yeah. Those, those, those things help me. Like, um, you know, being somebody that, that was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, um, okay. I kind of have a mental health stack that I'm like, these are the things that I know fill my bucket. These are the things that help me stay even. Right. And, and so I make sure I work those things into my, into my schedule um, and into my calendar. All right. Well, that's kind of a, a good, some of the things you touched on right there. Um, kind of a good segue here, considering your background in strength and conditioning, how do you, how do you believe? Cause now you're going to dive deeper into what you just said, right? <laughs> how do you believe physical wellness and mental resilience intersect in the realm of leadership development? Yeah, massively, massively. Yeah. Um, because you're cho you're choosing discomfort, right? You're choosing adversity, and so literally, what you're doing is you're raising your threshold um, to deal with discomfort. And part of leadership is messy. Like you're going to have to make hard decisions. You're going to have to put yourself through some things. Um, and not only that, when you're the leader, certain things are expected of you. You got to be able to go. You got to be mentally clear. You need to be grounded. Um, and those things come through being physically fit. Mm. Those things come through being able to, you know, keep your heart, manage your heart rate, right? How fast is it? You don't want your heart beating out of your chest all the time, right? And so how do you lower your resting heart rate? Well, you become better aerobic, more aerobically fit, um, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think it's everything. And not only that, I, I think this is why I like, I like fitness and this is why I like particularly uh, weight training, um, but running falls within this as well because you can't cheat it. 
right? And so <laughs> if you look at somebody that's physically fit, like sure, you know, we can have the steroid conversation, whatever, but generally speaking, like, like we'll take them out of the equation, people that are on steroids. Talking about the general public here. If you look at somebody that's physically fit, that says something about you, right? It says something about you. It says that you are disciplined. It says that you are consistent. And it says that you're willing to delay gratification. Mm. Those are all traits that people look for in great leaders, right? Mm. And so I, I, I do I think that you need to have a six-pack and, and be jacked? No, not not at all. But do I think that you should have some base level of fitness to to lead? Yeah, man. I think it's it's good for you and it's good for the people around you. You know, it's good for you and it's good for the people around you. And again, it's an oversimplification and, and it's biased because of my background. Um, but but yeah, I, I think it 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 just it intersects in so many ways, man. I don't think anything in life happens in a vacuum. Um, and so I think you know your physical well being and your physical health plays into your mental health, which plays into your business clarity, which plays into your leadership ability, which plays into, you know what I mean? All, everything is connected. Um, and so I think if you, if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of other people. And that's what leadership is, right? So I, I say you got to be selfish so that you can be selfless. There you go. <laughs> hey, I was laughing earlier because I just, it, it was like a flashback of training, uh, mm-hmm. physical fitness training in the army and that, you know you're like so you do flutter kicks it's like the leg i don't know if you know what flutter kicks are yeah yeah it's like yeah. scissor scissor things yep. right so you'd be like one two three a hundred one two three one <laughs> one and then they're like don't cheat your body you know what I'm yeah. <laughs> it's like oh my god when are we gonna stop so it just yeah it just triggered one of those uh one of those days <laughs> oh man i hope hopefully good trigger man <laughs> no it was a good trigger because um to your point that gratification comes after that hard workout yeah. And a lot of yeah. times for me, I was in a I, I wasn't an infantry person, but I was in a lot of light mm-hmm. infantry combat units. And right. when we did physical fitness, it was crazy stuff that you don't, you know, it's like, when is it going to be over? When is it going to be over? But you keep pushing, you keep pushing, right? And then you get through it and you're like, damn, that was pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? And, I feel I feel freaking great. Right. <laughs> and the and the confidence behind it, right? Like if things are hard at work and things are hard when you're a leader, to have that kind of the David Goggins calls it the cookie jar, right? To have that that notebook, that data behind you of like, no, I am a bad dude. Like I yeah. do I, I do hard <laughs> things in my life, you know, and I have all this data that's that supports it, right? That helps. It, hell, it, there's no doubt about it. It helps. It gives you something to latch onto. And it also gives you somewhere to clear your mind. You know, because yes. again, leadership is messy. Leadership is yes. messy. Sometimes you got to get out of your head and into your body. Yes. And physical fitness is a great way to do that because it's no thinking involved, right? It's right. just, I yeah. mean, it's, it's thinking like, you know, keep pushing, you know, don't give up right. type thinking, right? But it's simple things that you need to do and you know what your goal is. So it's right. it's, it's easy. It's easy. Yep. <laughs> yep. And it, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a crazy CrossFit workout. And I know That's me and true. you, we, we both have our, our physical background. So it's like, we're a little bit different than most people. But like, if you don't enjoy that, don't do it. Find something physical that you enjoy, right? It could right. be calisthenics. It could be yoga. It can be whatever. Like I, I, true story. I dated a girl that was a yoga teacher one time and she put me through a yoga workout. It was hard. Yes. Like that was, that was difficult. Right. So for me, I'm like, Okay, just find something that fits for you, 
Like whatever that is that fits your schedule, fits your lifestyle and do that. Just find a way to connect to your body. So what's one piece of advice? And I'm going to read this slow so you can think about it because I know you got a lot of advice. But what's one piece of advice that you give to someone aspiring to excel in a leadership role, especially during those challenging times? Lead with humility and don't worry about making the perfect decision. A lot of leaders get really stuck and really caught up in trying to make the perfect decision. And especially during those trying times. And that's, that's what stuck out to me about that question. When you're in those situations, every leader is faced with them. Every leader has those moments where you're not sure what to do right? What matters in those moments is that you can keep the vision, the mission, and the values of the company and of yourself at the forefront, and you make the best decision possible with the information that you have at hand. That's that's what matters, right? Decisiveness breeds confidence. Make decisions and be willing to live with them. As long as you make decisions with your vision, mission, and values in hand, you're going to make decisions that are at least putting you in the right trajectory. Right. So don't be obsessed with trying to make the perfect decision. Just make a decision and move forward. I like it. If you could invite any three, any two, any one, <laughs> so whichever. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying three. If you can think of three, cool. But if you can think of one that just really stands out, that's cool too. Historical figures, living or deceased, to a dinner party. You know this question, right? Who mm-hmm. would you who would they be and why? And what conversations or insights do you imagine would in unfold? Yeah, wow, that's another good one. I'd lo- I'd love to sit down with Muhammad Ali. Um I-, I would love to hear, you know, just his story and in, in his in his words. Um and also just learn about you know the the confidence and the and the preparation and what goes into that, right? I think that would just be a great conversation. Um so I'd love to sit down with him. Um Steve Jobs would be another one. I, I think, uh, you know, the insights and the and the the disruptor. I think people not. I don't want to say underestimate because obviously he's a very famous guy, um, but I think people really underestimate like what he did to the world, right? Like like mm. like he changed a lot of things, yeah. um, and the way he marketed and and married a great product with great marketing. And again, maybe he was a jerk in some of the other areas of his life. I'm not saying he was perfect by any means. Um, but I think from a business standpoint, I'd love to sit down with him and talk. Um, and then the third one, man, I, I, I don't know. I would probably Martin Luther King um, yeah. would, would love to sit down with him and, and, and talk communication and talk, um, you know, just his story, man, and, and hear some of those insights and, and the courage that he had to, to stand up for what he believed in and do those things. Uh, I think Jackie Robinson would be on that list too. I could go all day, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you opened a can of worms on this one. I'm yeah. like, man, you know, I'd like to sit down with Jackie Robinson too. Uh, but there's a lot of people I'd like to sit down with. You know, I'd like to sit down with some of the former presidents um, and just pick their brain about leadership and, and some of the challenges, you know, maybe not so much the recent presidents, but you know, yeah, go back a couple you. years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 talking about I sparked or uh, opened up a can of worms. Hell, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, uh, Kobe. You know, because yeah, I used to watch yeah. Kobe Bryant, right? And he, I was so fascinated with just his play and how he pretty much 
mirrored, I guess, his starting game on Jordan. Mm-hmm. But then he became his own, you know, as, yeah. it, as it got to an end. But what you're learning now is you're hearing all of these stories from his contemporaries, from his peers and his competitors on his his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Right. His mental. Right. His beliefs. And you're seeing all of these conversations that he's had. Right. And it's like, man, I wonder what it would be like just to be around someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love you. There's a there's a there's a video out um that's that's phenomenal and it's it's kobe and nick saban okay um sitting down and talking kobe came to speak to alabama football and him and saban sat down afterwards and had a conversation and they videotaped it and i'll tell you what man that that wasn't that was cool that was cool um you know i i think that was a um you know that that for me was a big one because i'm a huge kobe fan huge kobe fan i got I got a big canvas print of Kobe uh, actually down in my basement, my man cave. Um, yeah. Huge Kobe fan. His mindset, the way he approached things. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary, uh, My Muse, it's called. Yes. Uh, that's that's phenomenal. Like, But again, his work ethic. And yeah, he's somebody, man. I, I Again, I, I, I hate to see. Not that he didn't get his flowers when he was alive, but, but more so like after he passed. Right. Yeah. There was every, everybody. Now it's all coming out like. I, I wish it was there, you know, when he was alive, because there, there was the dude set a standard um, that I don't know will ever be matched as far as work ethic. Right, right. So, David, we talked about a lot of not really a lot of topics, but I asked you a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we talked mostly about leadership, which was the goal. Um, but is there something specific that hasn't come up in our conversation that you like to share or discuss? Um, no, man, I, I think we've hit it all. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm a very, I'm a very simple guy. Um, I, I just believe in, in adding value to people, um, and, and trying to leave the world a better place than when I found it. Right. And leave a legacy for my family to be proud of. So, you know, I, I'm just glad to, to get the platform, um, you know, in shows like this and, and talking with people like you, uh, that allow me to share a message that hopefully resonates with somebody and hopefully gets somebody out of the stands and into the arena. You know, that's yeah. that's the the biggest thing, man. I just I, I want people to live this life. We only get one go around at it. You know, mm. live this life and and take big swings and um, you know, go after what you want. So, you know, I'm just so grateful uh to come across people like you that are are trying to do the same and and help other people um, along the journey, man. It's, it's, it's never about us. It's about something bigger than us. And so, um, no, right. I just, I thank you for having me, man. This has been phenomenal. Um, so yeah. Likewise. And, and how, how can the listeners find additional information or resources to get to know you a little bit better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I'm a, I'm a simple man. It's at coach D kitch on every social media. Uh, so every, every platform that's out there, we're on it. Um, it's at coach D kitch. I run my own Instagram and my own LinkedIn. So if you want to get to me directly, those two, um, shoot me a DM. That is me. Um, that is 100% me all the time. Um, you know, and then our website, edgeleadershipacademy.com. Uh, we do have our new mentorship group opening up here pretty soon. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then other than that, man, all the links and stuff are, are on our websites and on our social media. I'm not really here to push product or anything like that, but I always, always love to connect with like-minded people. And if there's anybody that I can help, man, I'm always, always open to it. Awesome. Hey, I want to thank you too, 
you thanked me <laughs> for having you on, but I want to thank thank you for joining me today on Hindsight the Podcast and for sharing your journey uh, to the listeners, talking about leadership, right? Because we all have it in us, right? You, mm-hmm. you said you have those different things that can be taught. What is it? Yep. Not born. What is, what is it? The Built, slogan not born. Built, not born. Absolutely. Yep. Um, your experiences and, and approach to leadership has added tremendous value to myself. And hopefully the listeners and I am grateful for your time and absolutely for your wisdom. So thanks again. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode. Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned, stay curious, and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is t-